The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode 33, Put a Pin in It. People were saying the winter would be hard. Pah! Baba Yaga's hut was in its retro camper form. She was parked in the lot of a shopping complex, close enough to pick up a good Wi-Fi signal. She couldn't go into cafes at the moment in order to actually sit down and work. But then, she wouldn't really call what she did to survive in this realm work, anyway. Recently, She had branched out in her agony aunt manifestation and started telling fortunes online. She offered several levels of divination with many tiers of subscription pricing. These included a regular text message that offered vague predictions about the subscriber's fate based on their saint's name day. If they didn't have one, she assigned one as a courtesy. All they had to do was supply their real full name, birth date, and a photo of one piece of government-issued ID and proof of address so that their names could be entered into Yaga's weekly lottery. That way, she randomly won access to a new identity every week. To this voluntarily given embarrassment of riches, Baba Yaga would add any other information she could gather from her punter's existing profiles or that they felt compelled to supply. In this age of oversharing, people revealed far more than she cared to know. When she was done with this place, she'd probably sell the information as a job lot on the dark web for, oh yes, cryptocurrency. Another fabulous word. Like grave robbing without the stench or the worms. It might be good to keep a little stash of resources in this world a virtual tea tin to fund future mischief. Baba Yaga also offered video fortune-telling that could either feature her in shadow, making crystal ball-generated predictions. It was a magic eight ball she picked up at a dollar store somewhere and modified, but her devotees didn't need to know that. Her special tarot cards, very little good ever turned up in those, but the tales she wove from them were compelling, if hopeless. Or the hands-down favorite, the Book of Fate. This was an old book of stories, mainly about her, except she would shuffle the pages dramatically and let the book fall open at a certain point, magically conjuring the Cyrillic into dancing pictures and letting them resolve into meaningless formula in English. It was amazing how modern mortals could find comfort and guidance in oblique references to the suffering of peasant girls or the trials of heroes, as if such things mirrored their own lives. But it was making her rich and giving her power over the masses, which, aside from her freedom, was what she wanted most. The only three she didn't seem to have much sway over 
were those in the group. Time to change that. As she had promised, death, displacement, and despair. So much to look forward to. As before, the companions were gathered without warning for the story. This time, they were not sitting in Baba Yaga's dasha, but were described as seated in a green flowering meadow on cushions, surrounding a golden throne. Baba Yaga, of course, sat on the throne, which towered above them and was roofed with a glittering minaret. Darkness fell quickly, and the meadow was described as lit by thousands of fireflies that strung themselves together in illuminated garlands. Here and there, whispering could be heard, and some of the firefly constellations broke, darted, and reformed like will-o'-the-wisps. Isabel shuddered to think that anywhere she created could have a soul, even a lost one. Then she remembered the egg Rosamond was guarding in the lab. We will hear a tale tonight of Elena the Wise, the great sorceress I mentioned. This tale begins with a soldier, one named Ivan, as it happens. The story starts out in a few different ways, and certainly we can follow our little soldier boy through various beginnings. One version tells of his meteoric rise through army ranks from penniless conscript to colonel. He is then cast out to sea in a little boat and marooned on an island by jealous generals. However, the high-ranking authors of his misfortune are lost at sea themselves, and so he feels lucky to be alive until he discovers he has washed up on the private isle of a six-headed serpent. Yvonne contrives to convince the beast that he is his son by suddenly appearing when the leviathan wakes himself with a loud fart. Well, it's true that I don't personally give a dragon's fart for most Russian heroes. Let's not give our Yvonne such an mm, explosion onto the world stage. Let's start him off as a poor sentry on guard duty outside a stone tower at the stroke of midnight. Please, good sir, let me out, came a plaintive but otherworldly voice. The soldier shuddered. Who speaks to me? Identify yourself. I am a spirit trapped in this tower for over thirty years without food or drink. Please have mercy and let me go. The soldier's heart was moved. Surely three decades of imprisonment and deprivation was sufficient to pay for any past crimes? The soldier entered the tower and found a single locked cell in the gloom. He couldn't see anything but shadows within, but he could hear shuffling movement. He opened the great iron door and out flew a demon, who pinned him to the wall in jubilation. Don't kill me, the soldier squeaked. I won't kill you, lad, the demon boomed, but I'm very grateful for this favor. I'm off to cause a little mischief in the world, but should you ever need me, don't hesitate to call. He whooshed out of the tower and away in a rushing maelstrom of wicked potential. What have I done? bemoaned the soldier. My life over, my promising career 
finished. I'm nothing but a vagabond now, with nothing to my name but my life, and even that shall be forfeit to hell one day. He put down his rifle and soldier's pack and turned his greatcoat inside out after ripping off his regimental insignia in the hopes that he wouldn't be immediately recognized as a deserter and either shot on sight or hanged by the roadside. He walked for almost three days, nearly perishing from hunger and thirst. It's all your fault, demon, if I die like this, the soldier cried. The evil spirit appeared as if summoned. Why so miserable, comrade? The demon asked cheerfully. How could I be any other way? I'm starving to death because of you. Instantly, the demon produced food and drink for its benefactor and put a companionable arm around the young man's drooping shoulders. Listen, it's not so bad. You're out of work but I could use a trustworthy steward to mind my house and keep an eye on my three daughters while I'm away. Causing havoc takes all my concentration. I can't be expected to keep my mind on domestic affairs. But you could do that. You'd have easy work, room and board. What do you say? Feeling that he had no other choice, Ivan agreed and returned with the evil spirit to his home to take up his new post as steward. The demon's daughters were beautiful and tolerant, if not actually kind to their new guardian. The soldiers suspected that he wasn't doing as good a job guarding them at night as in the day. Whenever they appeared at breakfast, they seemed listless and disheveled as if they had been dancing all night. One night, after the young ladies had retired for the night and locked the great double doors to their large parlor and adjoining bedrooms, for all his traveling, the demon was very fond of his daughters and had allocated the main wing of his splendid house for their private use. Ivan peered through the keyhole to see whether he could discover some clue as to their nocturnal activities. As steward, he could have just taken his great key ring and opened the door. But these were the daughters of a powerful demon, and though trained as a soldier, Ivan was more than a little afraid of what the three of them might do to him if he just barged in. He watched in amazement as they unrolled a carpet across the parlor floor which showed a map of the thrice-tenth kingdom and nearby seas and constellations. Each daughter danced and twirled forward and leapt into the center of the carpet. As they struck the ground, they turned into doves with rainbow-colored wings and flew away, one after the other. Ivan fumbled for the right key, opened the door, and followed their example. Though not as graceful a dancer as the sisters, he leapt and turned at the center of the design, becoming a hedge sparrow as he struck the ground. He flew off after his charges in the blink of an eye. He flew to an immense meadow that was covered with incoming doves from every direction. As they landed, they changed into beautiful ladies-in-waiting from every realm on earth and knelt with bowed heads before an ornate but empty golden throne. 
Soon the sky was filled with the roaring of six fiery dragons and a golden carriage through the night sky. It landed in the midst of the dove maidens and the most beautiful woman alighted, ascending the throne. This was Elena the Wise, and one by one she called each supplicant to her presence by name. They were like her apprentices. She taught each girl magic spells and dances, and the rest of the night passed in practice and celebration. The soldier-turned-sparrow followed his three charges home, and in the morning he confronted them about their otherworldly shenanigans. They seemed slightly hungover. They were certainly nonplussed. If you go back to the gathering place, we will point you out to our mistress and your head will adorn one of the spikes on the fence around her garden, the eldest fumed. However, the soldier was quite smitten with Elena the Wise and he changed into a hedge sparrow again and followed the three dove sisters back to the meadow, careful to stay hidden. This time, rather than follow his wards back home, he followed Elena's dragon carriage to her palace. The next morning, the sparrow sang sweetly and all Elena's maids tried in vain to catch it. When Elena came out to the garden, the sparrow perched on her finger and continued to sing. Enchanted, the sorceress had a golden cage prepared for the little bird and she gave orders it would be kept in her own chamber. Delirious with delight and longing, Yvonne stayed in sparrow form until Elena returned from her nightly sojourn to the enchanted meadow. She bathed and went to bed. The soldier gazed on her exquisite beauty as she slept, softly outlined in moonlight. Several times during the night he left the cage and resumed his human form, first gazing on her, then holding her hand then kissing her. At the last brazen action, Elena woke up, only to see the hedge sparrow fluttering back onto its perch in the nick of time. She sensed she was not alone and consulted her magic book. The book revealed the sparrow's true identity. Come out of that cage at once, she yelled. For this insult and deception, I shall have your head. The soldier came forward bowed his head, turned back into a sparrow, and sang one last time. His song was so mournfully lovely, Elena was moved to tears. Very well, she agreed. I will allow you to hide three times. If I fail to discover your hiding place, I will not only spare your life, but I will marry you. The soldier was overjoyed. He found a private spot in the garden and summoned the evil spirit. He told the demon exactly what his daughters got up to at night, as a way of compensating for the fact that he was clearly not at his post. I'll deal with them, the angry, mostly absent father promised, and I'll help you. But the heads on these fence posts are all suitors who fail to meet Elena's challenge. The demon struck the ground and became a blue eagle with white markings. Against the sky, 
he blended into the very clouds. Get on my back and stay low, the demon said, soaring into the sky. Elena consulted her magic book. It revealed the soldier's celestial transport and hiding place. Back to Earth right now, the pair of you, she commanded. Then the demon took the soldier to the deep sea, becoming a long-toothed pike and swallowing the soldier, carrying him to the lowest levels of the Sea King's realm. Again, Elena consulted her book. Your guise is fishy and your ruse all wet, she pronounced, signaling impatiently for them to return. How does she know where we go? The demon complained. Then he spied the magic book. He'd had a similar one bound for himself, so he could keep tabs on his daughters. He turned the soldier into a pin and hid it in the binding. The book revealed nothing. Just like we can't see ourselves without a mirror, the book couldn't look inside itself to discover the pin. Furious, Elena threw it in the fire. The book burned to cinders, and all that remained in the grate was a beautiful pin, whose head bore the engraving of a handsome face she recognized. She threw the pin on the floor, and the soldier appeared before her, ash-streaked and slightly dazed. Can, can we be together always now? he asked, hopefully. You, my beloved, will always be with me, Elena smiled beguilingly. She changed him back into a pin and put it in her headdress, admiring the addition. I have to say, though, darling, I don't give a pin for the idea of a husband, particularly not some low-born fool who puts his faith in demons, she laughed softly. From that day forward, most of Elena's suitors still met their end adorning her fence posts. The prettiest she turned into pins, which she kept in a little box when she wasn't wearing them. Proof that sometimes even the doughtiest heroes just don't have the good sense to stay out of a woman's hair. Baba Yaga finished her tale. The Decameron shuffled. Knave of Hearts. Looks like the next tale is calling my name, Jack said. Maybe I'll tell a story about the King of Ireland's son. Wasn't that particular prince among men more or less a poor motherless child? Baba Yaga asked, almost innocently. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.